Welcome to the Plans and Provisions Podcast, your source for homesteading and preparedness information and inspiration. We're so glad you're here. We'll be talking with some incredible folks, sharing ideas, and learning what we can do to become more independent and resilient in these interesting times. Now here's your host, Jason White. When my family and I embarked on this incredible journey two years ago, we had no way of really knowing the challenges we would face as we got our feet under us in our new home. The first couple of years proved to be tougher than we imagined, and we definitely looked to other more established homesteaders for inspiration and encouragement. Knowing that others had gone through similar struggles and made it through helped us to keep our heads and fight through the early storms of our transition to homesteading. In today's episode, I'm happy to welcome back Greg Sweeten to the podcast. It was just over a year ago he was last on the show, and in that episode, he shared the dramatic transition his family experienced as they left behind their fairly typical suburban lifestyle. Now, with over four years under their belt as homesteaders, I think it's safe to say that these guys are the real deal, and they have definitely been a big inspiration to me and my family. In our talk, Greg shares some of the challenges that led to his family's decision to sell the small herd of cattle that they had started. We talk about our shared goal of establishing a suitable dual-purpose chicken flock on our homesteads and his family's experience with the Bielefelder breed. We get to hear about the success they've had raising pigs, and Greg shares some exciting news about their homestead. Hey, Greg. Great to see you. Um, Great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, how's it been going? It's been going great. Uh, busy and, and but really glad to take this time out and catch up with you. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we finally got to do it. I know we've been kind of going back and forth. I know you've been busy. I've been busy, but I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this uh, today. Um it's been about a year, I want to say, maybe a little bit more since you were on the show, and that was definitely a well-received episode, definitely uh, did some good numbers and had some great feedback, so um, wanted to have you back and kind of catch up. I know there's been a lot going on over the last year, and just kind of wanted to have you kind of share a little bit about that. Um, I don't know where you want to get started. I know it's been a big, a big year for you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well just trying to think about, like you said, it's been right out about a year. So a couple different things that, um, are new for us. Um, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is we, uh, we've had pigs since we started this homesteading adventure. Um, I guess we kind of jumped into that our first year getting our feeder pigs and, and growing those guys out. Um, but this was our first year jumping into the farrowing game. And so we kept two uh, breeding gilts from our last batch. And um, we have a good friend local that he, he's become a good friend. He um, let us borrow his boar. Uh, he has a Berkshire boar. And our our girls were uh, GOS, you know, Old Spot and Berkshire Cross uh, gilts. So we, uh, had our first couple litters in, I want to say back in May. No, I'm sorry. It was before that. It was probably April. I think, um, you know, had those girls had litters. And so that was definitely a very, uh, 
we learned a lot from that experience for sure. Um, you know, so that's, I don't know if, if you want to kind of hear about that, but that, that's kind of the biggest thing I would say on our farm over the last year. Yeah. I guess my question is, will you do it? Will you be doing it again? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, we actually are, uh, just a couple of weeks away now from, from those, uh, girls, uh, giving birth again, uh, believe it or not, it, you know, and I didn't, we're just kind of learning as we go. And like I said, our friend has really helped us through how all this works because, you know, once those, so kind of rewinding back to that experience we had, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but there were first time guilts. And so typically they have, um, you know, e- even a small litter can be, you know, 10 pigs, uh, which is crazy. So we had our first guilt, uh, had, I want to say we ended up with 11. Is that right? Something like that. No, it might've been a little smaller than that, but she had a pretty good time. You know, it's typical. You'll lose one. Uh, you might have a stillborn pig. And I think we did have one with her. Uh, our second guilt, she had a little more trouble. Um, and so, uh, to answer your question, yeah, it definitely was a reality check. And there, there was, I can't say there weren't a couple moments in there where we're like, gosh, we want to do this again. There's a lot to this, but, uh, no, it was a good experience, but she, I didn't know this, um, until we kind of got into it, but they have two, uh, what they call horns, um, which are just like batches within the birth. I, I'm not using the right terminal on terminology, but, um, they'll have the first horn will be essentially, you know, half of the litter. And then the second horn can actually look completely different. It's really, really interesting. Uh, so she got several into her litter and had a little trouble. Um, and we actually got pretty concerned. He was talking us through it over the phone. Um, you know, I didn't know how concerned we were we needed to be about losing her, but we, this went on for hours and hours. She, you know, we actually had to sleeve her and try to pull um, the pig, which uh, was definitely an experience. Um, but you know, we're not able to do that, and we kind of had to just wait it out. And it ended up being a, like a full twenty-four hours. This went on. And finally, she passed the last two, which were stillborn. Uh, so we lost those last two. But, um, you know, that was that was definitely one of those experiences you, you feel like, okay, I feel like a farmer <laughs> yeah, now. <I> bet. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Wow. So, uh, you know, it it does test you, this those things that you go through the first time. But you know how it is each time. You know, it feels like a big deal. And then you get a little removed from it and you're like, yeah, we could do that again. Uh, but you know, we had to, um, you know, do the castration on the boys and our friend again, kind of showed up and he's been great to come help us with those kinds of things. That's another thing, you know, we had no clue what we were doing. So he, he helped us with that. Um, so, uh, it's, you know, that part, my wife and I, we kind of looked at each other and like, can we do this? You know, like, is this, is this something we want to do again? And, and here we are, um, because you, the way it works basically is once they are weaned, um, 
that borer comes back in and it's pretty much, you know, you, you breed them back almost immediately. And here we are now just a few months down the line and we're, we're ready. We're just a couple weeks away. They're starting to get pretty low and show. And, and so we'll have, um, Lord willing, we'll have a good, uh, maybe an easier time with, uh, with that, but yeah, getting ready to have a couple more batches of pigs. That's exciting. Sounds, sounds like, uh, yeah, sounds like it would definitely give you pause. Um, but like you said, as you get that, get a little bit of water under the bridge and, uh, kind of forget some of those, some of that tension and, and some of the, that stress, it's like, Hey, let's do it again. So yeah. did you, I mean, as far as economically, I mean, how did that first farrowing go for you guys? Was it a, was it a, was it a win? Was it kind of a wash? Like how'd that turn out? Yeah, I really, you know, I looked at that because it kind of put us in, and I think we talked about last time how our strategy has always been when, let's say we grow out the the feeder pigs to try to offset our costs, essentially, um, you know, of, of the ones we keep for our family. And so I tried to look at that. I thought, you know, how, how does this come out? Obviously with feeding or I'm sorry, with farrowing and you're selling them at weaning before they get into feed and all of that, um, you're feeding the sows, you're overwintering them, um, you know, kind of a long answer to your question, but you know, it comes out where I, th- I think you probably end up doing a little bit better by growing them out you know, even with the feed inputs and the processing and all of that. Um, but you have, I mean, it really is pretty close. I would say, uh, the difference between farrowing, selling at weaning versus doing your grow out hogs and selling, uh, selling the pork. So, um, pretty close. And it really, I don't know that we've come to any great conclusions yet on what the future is. If we want to, um, stick more to the farrowing or, or increase the amount that we're growing out and selling. Um, so not, not really a conclusive answer to that question, but, you know, I would say it really economically, um, works out pretty good. Okay. Now I, I know you so. had been using electric fence and doing some, some rotational, grazing and, and things like that. Were you still doing that with, with the, the, the piglets? Yeah, we kind of went back and forth. What I did initially was I just use hog panel, um, uh, and T post in a, a pretty good size area. And then I would run the electric netting, uh, the kind of the hog version of that netting inside of that to kind of train them, because that's kind of a selling point for people that come and buy feeders. If they're kind of trained to that electric, they like that because that's typically, you know, maybe what people are going to, um, raise them in. So that's kind of our setup. And then we kind of move them to just the netting, uh, so we could rotate them around. Um, I know a lot of people do just like a single wire or two wires, like the smooth hot wire. I, I, had it in mind to try that, but haven't gone that route yet. So we've kind of mostly done the netting to answer your question. Okay. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, uh, we've talked, um, off, off camera or off mic, uh, 
quite a bit about this yeah. and we still haven't we still haven't done it and it's one of those things <laughs> I feel like every every six months, four to six months, I, I start thinking about it again and now hearing that you've got some some piglets coming, I'm like, Well, maybe I mean maybe there's a way I should do this. So it's still something that we haven't taken the leap on. I guess I'm apprehensive, but I mean it sounds like Sounds like it's possible. You guys are doing it. A lot of people do it. Uh, I, my main con- my main concern is just control. You know. Yeah. But um, well, I'll share this. You know, of all the animals that we've had, the pigs definitely made me the most nervous initially. Um, I I don't know why. I I just you hear stories and you know pigs get out, they're gone, and and that kind of thing. Um, I've, I've learned that a lot of that anxiety was just really unfounded, you know, they, um, so I've gone from really being probably the most intimidated or the most nervous about the pigs too. I think they've become probably my favorite on the farm. Um, you know, so not to say there aren't things that are, you know, to, to be aware of, but, uh, I really do enjoy raising them. It's been nice to be able to get attached to those sows because before, you know, I try not to get, cause you know, they're only here for a few months. You hate to get, uh, too attached, but that we've enjoyed having the sows. Um, they, they're just really are very sweet girls and we love raising them. And, and, um, the netting definitely is a great option. Um, just it, it's, you know there are some pain points with it, but really it's 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 hard to beat that for just the flexibility of it and everything. And I will share that if you one thing we've learned, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but being in Missouri and having plenty of rock, uh, that kind of thing, you're definitely battling that mainly with electric netting. One thing I've learned is the key is your your ground. And I mean, like the electrical ground, you know, so, um, that's really the key to any electric fencing. And so they do make a positive negative version of that netting. I just thought I would share that for anyone listening to where if you have dry, uh, and with the drought we've been in the last couple of years, this is definitely an issue because as you know, if you're not if you don't have a good enough ground on your, your system, it doesn't matter how hot that, that fencing is. If you don't have a good ground, you're not going to get a good shock. Uh, so, um, they have, they make a positive negative version of the fencing to where they do have to touch a positive and a negative strand, but then it doesn't rely so much on that, that ground. Um, it's, it's sort of built in, if you will, um, I'm probably not explaining that very good, but it, it doesn't rely so much on because, you know, the beauty of the, the netting is being able to move it around, but then the downside is you're, you're also having to move all your grounding rods or set up multiple areas of, of your grounding rods. And that's a challenge for sure when you're battling rock. So I just thought I'd share that with you and, and your listeners that they do make that and, we haven't gone to that just because we were already pretty invested in what we had. But if I were doing it again, I might look into that 
positive negative for dry rocky soils that's interesting i had not I'd not heard of that but i definitely heard of the challenges um with with grounding and we haven't gotten into electric fence at all we are hoping to start rotationally grazing our our cattle and the sheep that we hope to add that's our our hope for this next season i think we should be able to get there but uh but yeah i didn't i didn't realize that that's good news Yeah, definitely a good option. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people really just end up going with the, I think the netting is definitely a good place to start. Um, I do have, like I mentioned, I have it kind of in mind to try just this, just the old fashioned high tensile, you know, uh, hot wire, maybe a single or maybe two strands, two or three strands. I think that's what Salatin recommends, maybe three, um, I'd like to try that just to see how that goes. But I know that's been around longer than the netting and a lot of people like that and stick with yeah, that. I, I think that's what we're, it, well, that's what we think anyway, we'll probably do since we haven't invested in anything. I know it is a lot cheaper to buy. Yeah. It's, right. it's a lot more right. economical. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll hopefully this winter we'll be uh, squirreling away enough funds and getting things together and getting our plans together. But, um, now, last time we talked, uh, when you were on the podcast, you had talked about uh, raising Dexter cattle. And yep. I know a lot of folks, especially in the homesteading world, smaller properties, it's, you know, Dexter, are, are an attractive choice due to size and temperament and things like that. But um, from what I understand, you've gotten rid of your cattle. I wonder if you could kind of share some of that story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Dexters are fantastic. We had a great experience there. Um, built up our herd, you know, not, it wasn't big by any means, but we ended up with, we had a bull and three cows, and then we had our first calves this spring, which was really exciting. Um, we had one cow actually lost her calf, uh, kind of a long story there, um, but uh, had some trouble there, lost her calf. Uh, but we had our two, two calves this spring and just super excited about that. But then, so we had our Dexters on some leased land across the road, um, that a neighbor let us, uh, lease from him. It was 10 acres. And he decided this year we had leased it, I guess for a couple of years this year, he decided he didn't want to lease, uh, in the future wanted to actually sell the land. So he gave us the opportunity to buy it. Um, and it just was really price wise kind of out of our ability to do what, you know, what he was asking for it. So we were really kind of stuck and it was kind of a dilemma. We were pretty bummed because we had just kind of built up our herd, had our first calves and, one thing we realized, we, we had an opportunity to look, you know, for another lease, um, you know, down the road a, a few miles, that kind of a thing. But uh, truthfully, I think I realized that that was maybe not what we were interested in. I know a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of people do that, but we really, I think our homesteaders at heart, we like our animals close to be able to keep an eye on them. And I just didn't see that as really, uh, great option for us. So we opted to, as heartbreaking as it was, we opted to sell our cattle. And so we, uh, there were a couple people, um, 
that came forward and, and were interested. And uh, the the blessing in it is we ended up making some really good friends uh, out of um, out of the situation. Um, you know, in particular, we we have some friends that are. Um, had relocated uh, from Pennsylvania a few years ago and in, in Missouri now and are, are really not too far away. So we've kept in touch. Um, we're on a, you know, texting, calling basis. We even hang out sometimes. So we just really a, a treasure of a, a friendship there. And um, so that, that was the blessing in it. So I, I, it went from a situation that was, could have been a little bit bitter to something where we just feel like we really, um, came out ahead with a, a really great friendship. So, uh, and we get to still see, see the cattle because they have them and have gotten into milk and are, um, breeding that herd. And, and so it's really, it's really been a blessing. Yeah. I remember when you were in the process of putting those out to the world. And if I had had the money, I probably would have, uh, <laughs> would have tried to buy them though. I don't think we, really have the space for that many um we still have our two yeah. brown swiss bottle calves we're about to harvest the uh the first of the two and then we're going to keep the other over winter and uh let him grow out a little bit bigger he's a little smaller and probably take him in uh early early summer probably somewhere in the middle of you know good fresh grass season and then go ahead and take him out um we're also working on getting a um a Jersey heifer calf who was just born. She's going to be weaned in a, probably like six months for buying from a neighbor, hopefully. So that's kind of where we're going with it. But um, so you didn't, when you got rid of them, it wasn't a matter of you had an issue with raising cattle. It was just a matter of, of infrastructure and, and loss of that leased land. Yeah. So on our property, we have 10 acres, but it's definitely not set up for cattle. I would say, um, probably 70% wooded. And, um, so just not enough pasture there really for them. So we thought about maybe keeping a cow calf pair and on our property, but just realized that with the quality of pasture and just honestly, the, the amount of pasture we had, it was probably not, not the thing to do. So no, we really enjoyed raising them. Um, just very docile, um, you know, easy to handle. I will say that I probably wish we were a little bit better equipped. Um, because that's, that's what I would say about the cattle and anyone wanting to get into, any type of livestock. It almost seems like I would say day to day, the cattle were almost the easiest animal animal on the the farm, um, day to day. Uh, but when it came to handling them, uh, we did have, I didn't mention, but we had a couple steers, uh, that we got as young, young steers, and then we grew them out. So we were able to get some beef there, but I had to borrow some panels to create, you know, a corral to be able to to get them crowd, um, for that, uh, something I probably wish we would have just had and owned, um, you know, but, but sometimes that's the way it works is you just are able to borrow, you know, from friends and neighbors. Uh, and then as far as the transportation, uh, we really only have one trailer livestock trailer and it's a, it's a two horse trailer. And, 
and you could maybe squeeze a, um, a, a, a smaller steer on there, but it's not ideal. So I think I realized that equipment wise, I probably wish we were a little better prepared. Um, just so going into it, you know, down the road, if we go into it again, I'd, I'd probably want to have those things in place. Um, you know, just in case we needed them. But, but again, we were always able to kind of get what we needed. Yeah. No, I, I can relate. I, I think that in this, in this lifestyle, especially for those of us who are just starting out and kind of branching, branching out. I mean, if you wait until you have all your ducks in a row, you'll never do anything. So I mean, yeah, there's that's true. no, uh, that's no true. lesson like experience and realizing, um, realizing that you need something. Um, yeah, well, that's interesting. I'm, I'm um, curious to see how things go as far as uh, your next your next venture with beef. But I know, uh, and I talk about this and I have talked about this on my podcast, and it's been something that's been on my mind is chickens and really finding, getting away from Cornish Cross, though we still raise them and we love them and, and eat them every right. week. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we won't stop probably anytime soon, but still thinking long-term and kind of that... Uh, that concept that maybe I wouldn't be able to just easily order a nice batch of, of little chicks that grow plump in eight to 10 weeks. Um, but that dual purpose right. homestead chicken, I know you, you guys have been kind of on the same quest. Um, wonder if you can yeah. kind of tell a little bit about what you guys have, have, have experimented with this year and what your results have been. Absolutely. Yeah. That's another new uh, thing we've tried this year. And my, my daughter is, she is the chicken guru of the family for sure. And so I, I, we very much, uh, they're such a part of this and, and we really, um, let them feel very, you know, very involved in, in decision-making that kind of a thing. So we really kind of put it out there for her just to research breeds. And we did this alongside of her, of course. And, and, um, we, we, she, came across uh, Bielefelder uh, chickens, which is a dual purpose, a German dual purpose breed. I honestly wasn't very familiar with uh, before, but she, we spent a lot of time kind of researching those. And so this last spring we got some, um, we, we were able to order some and we had to actually wait quite a while. I can't remember the hatchery that we used for that, but uh, got a small batch. I think we ended up with 14 or 16 of those just to kind of, we wanted to run them alongside, like you said, the Cornish cross is pretty hard to beat. Um, but wanted to kind of run them parallel and just kind of experiment and, and see what we thought about possibly switching over to like a dual purpose, uh, concept. And, um, we are getting approaching. We're not, quite there on, on harvesting those, we ended up with a few extra roosters. Uh, so our, our thought was that let's say we go to this Bielefelders and we've got the, you know, our egg layers, you end up with a few extra roosters and those are, you know, maybe you split those off and those become, grow those out for your meat chicken. So, um, we have a batch of hundred, a hundred Cornish cross out there right now, probably just about a week away from harvest. Um, you know, that's something, uh, I'll, I'll mention that we kind of changed a little bit, you know, in previous years, we had done more of the Cornish cross, um, up to four batches. 
And we realized that, um, that that was really tough through the, the hottest part of the summer, just really hard on the birds, hard on us. So we kind of, we, we went a different route, a different approach this year and raised a spring batch and then kind of took the summer off. And then now we have this fall batch, uh, that, like I said, is about a week away. So here in the next week, we're going to have some friends out and we will harvest, uh, those plus we'll go ahead at that time and try, uh, the Bielefelder roosters to see what we think about that. So it'd be kind of an interesting side by side comparison. Uh, seems like in the past, um, you know, there's, there are homesteaders out there who have kind of done that similar kind of side by side comparison. It seems to always come out on the side of the Cornish cross, which like I said, they are hard to beat, but, uh, just wanting to try something different, um, and, and see, you know, if we wanted to get into hatching and, and kind of closing that loop, um, see what we thought about, uh, this breed. But so far we've been really happy with them. They're very, docile breed um we kind of kept them separate from other egg layers just so we can have a little control there um trying to do a little better with management um you know having those separate groups but they're they're really a beautiful bird and uh good temperament uh they're kind of lazy a little bit (laughs) like like the cornish cross i noticed they lay around a lot i guess that's why they get kind of you know, kind of plump. They're not like overly active like some breeds. Um, so, um, and, and of course we have yet to see, they're not, we're getting pretty close to having some that are, will be laying eggs. So we're getting close to that too. We can see what we think about that. So that's, that's a definitely a new thing for us. This year. Yeah, no, I remember you, you asking me about it. We had had, I think we had one Bielefelder rooster we got in some mix yeah and, uh, i remember man, you saying he was that absolutely he Huge. was big he was still pretty young but he was just so beautiful yeah. um i yeah. mean oh yeah just almost They're like beautiful. some of the colorations of like a golden pheasant and just i mean just such such yeah. dramatic plumage i hated to uh i hated to harvest him we did and he he was delicious um but yeah. uh, he was pretty young still I, I don't know maybe five six months but uh but yeah, they are uh, they are beautiful. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how that turns out as far as meat production and laying. I think I've mentioned to you, and I've definitely said on the podcast we we started out with light Brahmas, and we just kind of got them oh, on yeah. a whim. We moved here December fifth, two thousand twenty one, and by December fifteenth, we had uh, nine. Uh, light brahma uh, eight hens and a rooster so we kind of just i'd never wow. heard of the breed before but then we we kind of fell in love with them and we still have that original batch and we've hatched out uh about a dozen uh for our next kind of run and we've we've really That's really great. really grown to like them overall they're very docile they're very big uh they are white so as far as you know processing they're a little bit cleaner looking in the end product oh. Absolutely. But I'm not so sure that the laying aspect is up to what we're looking for, so we're still kind of trying to collect data on that, but uh they're supposedly they lay in the winter more and they take a break in the summer as opposed to most most chickens. Um so we're going right. to really take a look at this winter and see if that actually plays out or not, but um I'll keep you posted on that as well, but 
you know. Yeah, I'm curious because I've heard about that too, certain breeds that are not as heavy layers, but they're a little more consistent through the winter months. But, I, you know, the knock on the dual purpose is, of course, that they do neither one, right. you know, exceptionally well. And uh, so that's an argument more of just sticking with the Cornish cross and then having your heavy layers, um, you know, but really wanting to kind of go for more of that holistic, uh, closed loop, you know, homestead, um, you know, reduce the, uh, the inputs. It's what is kind of driving us to at least try this. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, that's a good point. And I think I've given this a lot of thought as I know you have, and many of us have it's in order to close that loop. One of the most important things we have to do first is change, change our expectations and open our, open up our mind a little bit and realize that if we're comparing Absolutely. to, whatever it is chickens uh really anything if we're comparing to that 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 commercialized product we're never going to 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 replace that and be able to close that loop or tighten that loop up so um yeah no it's definitely a big paradigm shift there and and that's absolutely yeah. true so we've done really well is so far in the conversation and not really talking about the the really big news for you and your family but i wonder uh, if maybe it's time to kind of share the big uh, transition you guys are in. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's exciting and a little nerve-wracking, too. We're right in the middle of it, actually. So um, so it's nice, actually, to be able to sit down and just talk with you and just have a rest for a moment. But we are in the middle of a, a move, a homestead move. Um, we're not going far, but you know, to a certain extent, it doesn't matter, right? You're still loading animals. It doesn't matter if you're going 10 minutes or, you know, two hours. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll back up a little bit here. So we, um, talked last time, you know, the, we have a home-based coffee roasting business and, um, we've continued to do that. That's continued to bless our family and, uh, continue to grow. Um, and just very thankful for that. Um, and as it's grown, we've kind of looked at, you know, our setup and just how, how much longer we can continue to do that in our current space. And then I think also the having to sell our cattle kind of prompted us to look at the future and we enjoyed them so much. We started thinking about that next step. And at the same time, though, I don't know how serious we really were. Uh, and this is definitely part of this big uh, shift for us is going from, you know, going into self-employment. Um, and, and you know, I can get into to that a little bit if, if people are curious. But it just changes things a lot. You're You're in a different space as far as your ability to borrow money and, um, and and that type of thing. So we realized that if we were going to make this happen, that it, it really had to be just the right thing, you know, at the right price. And in this inflated market, it's really, you know, it was going to be kind of tricky uh, to, to kind of stay in our community which we have just really enjoyed um, and, and kind of find something that would work for us. So 
we actually had a neighbor, um, funny enough that, that shared. So he was next door to the land that we leased and had our cattle on and ended up his cattle kind of kept getting over with ours. And I, I was really stressing him out. So I just told him, I said, Chad, don't worry about it. We'll just, you know, let yours run with ours. It's no big deal. Uh, he ended up getting a calf out of the deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with our bull. But, uh, anyway, um, you know, he, he told us, he kind of knew what our, saw our, our growing pains, if you will, and kind of maxing out our space a little bit. And, and he's like, you know, I've got, I've got a friend, uh, just down the road a little bit. He's selling his place. And he, he tried for a while to get me to go look and I kind of put him off. I just, at that time was really, just hard for me mentally to think about a move. And then, um, I think also just feeling like it was likely out of our price range, that type of thing. So finally I gave in, I said, let's go see this place. And, um, I I told him after just being there, maybe five or 10 minutes, I said, well, I see why you wanted us to come see this. It's a, it's a beautiful place. Um, doubles our acreage, but I would say, um, really, does a lot more than that because like I said, our acreage, it's, we love our place now, um, our 10 acres. Um, and we're going to miss, there's a lot we're going to miss about it, but, uh, I wouldn't say that it's, is as usable all of it, uh, as we really would like it to be. Um, so this, uh, place that he, he took us to is 20 acres, mostly open. Um, there's a couple of, of creeks and some trees that run along the creeks, uh, just a beautiful setting. And so that's the first thing is really hard not to be distracted by just that, you know, um, you kind of have to look at the rest of the property and, um, it, it will definitely be a big adjustment, but to, to, you know, long story short, uh, we, we pursued this, we prayed about it. Um, it was kind of a unique situation, got to really work directly with the owner of the property, which was really kind of cool. Um, and we just put it out there and we just prayed, you know, God, if this is not, you know, the, the, the right, um, path, just, you know, please close this door. And, and it just, it stayed open. We walked through it. And so as of last Friday, a week ago, we closed back to back on both properties. And so, um, it's, it's just been an amazing, an amazing time. The, the, the gal that came forward and and bought our place. Um, this is kind of a cool little, uh, twist to the tail. I don't even know if I shared this with you, but, um, like I mentioned the 10 acres that we, we were leasing, um, the, the gentleman that owns the property ended up selling that 10 acres. And I had never met, her, but she's, she's, uh, a younger gal. And, um, I I met her dad, really, really nice family and everything. And I, um, well, it turns out she really just kind of wanted to be out in this area. So we didn't go through, we didn't go through an agent. We didn't list. It's the first time we've never gone that route. We just, with our budget really couldn't afford to do that. We had to try to try to do this ourselves. And so we just, it's just a Facebook post on our personal page and her, this gal's mom actually came across this somehow, sent it to her. She, um, came forward, came, wanted to come look, 
fell in love with it and ended up, uh, that's who we sold it to. So, um, you know, I, I just thought that was kind of a, a, a cool little twist, um, turn of events, if you will. Um, so she has been generous enough to let us rent our, the old place for a period of time to let us, you know, move relatively stress-free, not have to just be out, <laughs> move all these animals, get them out, you know, immediately. So we were able to do, you know, quick close, start some work on the new place. Um, and, but we're still in the old place working on moving, working on getting animals over and structures built and all of that. So it's a lot of logistics, a lot of things that need to happen. Um, but just so thankful to her that she was open to, to that because that, you know, we don't take that for granted. That could have gone a lot different. So yeah, we're right, right in the middle of it. Um, kind of in both places, you know, living at the old place, but getting the new place outfitted, uh, for the coffee roasting and for the, um, the, this place has a small, it's an old house. It's a small house. It's definitely, that's the biggest adjustment for our family is it will be, um, another downsize, which so far has just been amazing. Um, uh, process of, of simplifying our lives, but it will, you know, it'll, it'll stretch us, um, or, or shrink us. However (laughs) you want to look at that. Like we're getting, getting smaller and smaller, but, um, but it has a, a great shop that we can use to, to churn out some coffee and grow that business. And, uh, so the setup, um, it's a, it's a big shift, but you know, when we came out to our, our old spot here four years ago, almost to the day, um, you know, the coffee business was nowhere on our radar. And I told that story last time, you know, and so this is really just looking at kind of what our needs are and where we, uh, feel like we're being led. Um, I I think this property we're calling it, um, imperfectly perfect. (laughs) (laughs) A lot, a lot of things that, you know, like I said, it's an old house. Um, you know, needs a little, a little work and, you know, make some adjustments and that kind of thing. But I think it really will be a good home for our family. I think you mentioned to me I hope. a while back that it's uh, one, one bathroom in the new house, correct? Yeah. 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 And that's definitely, so there was my daughter's idea. Um, she's 14 and she had the idea of, you know, our current home and we, we've just gotten so spoiled, you know, we all have, uh, with, uh, with what we are looking for in a home, but you know, this is really not, not a big deal, but, um, but we currently have two bathrooms, you know, so we have, it's my wife and I, and then our, our 14 year old daughter, 12 year old son. And so we have two bathrooms. So we kind of, um, are able to, uh, make that work and that works very well. And so her idea though, was to close off the one bathroom, just, pretend like we don't have it, you know, in practice, <laughs> you know, the four of us sharing the one bathroom. And actually we've done that now for, I'd say a month or close to it. And it's, you know, no major catastrophes so far. Wow. <laughs> wow. I like it. That's, uh, so, that's, that's good thinking. I mean, I guess you could look at it a couple ways. You can 
get ready and practice or you can enjoy that last month of having two but but i like True. toughening <laughs> up for the for the move um yeah wow yeah i can't i you know i i've you told me about what you guys were doing and i thought about our situation we've been here almost two years and you know our place isn't huge our house is is you know it's it's big enough um sometimes feels pretty small with all of us in it and and everything and you know my twins are almost five and you know they're they're just chaotic that's just kind of where they're at you know they're just all over the place and very creative um you know our property is just big enough i think and i i I, but i can see where we might get to the point where we feel like we've outgrown it but it would be tough for me to imagine making that move anytime soon i know um it's got to be it's got to be a really a big deal for you guys. I mean, it, it's you're downsizing your house, but you're getting a lot more. I mean, what what are what really what was the censure for you guys? I mean, obviously there was a lot of prayer involved, but what what really drove? Yeah. Like, what was the big driver or drivers that really said let's let's absolutely do this? Well, it, it definitely took some convincing. I'll say, um, yeah, I'd just say prayer to come to you know, to have a piece about it because, well, number one, this, uh, current, our, our, the old, I'll call it the old place, you know, uh, we're still here, but, uh, it's been a great home for us and it's been where we've kind of gotten our feet wet with homesteading. Um, and it was tough. I think just emotionally become pretty attached and great neighbors and, there was almost a little bit of that. Are we pushing our luck here? <laughs> you know, this is already a downsize was a downsize for us. We did the big house thing. Um, you know, we kind of did, I say what a lot of people do, you know, start with the starter home and, and then, you know, kids come along and you kind of go to the next step. And then we did the uh, quote unquote dream house, you know, and, and thought that's what we wanted. And then just realize that, it wasn't our thing. It didn't make us happy. We rattled around in that house and we're a pretty tight knit family. And that's when we, um, kind of the process, it was actually a step between that and where we are, you know, with our first homesteading home, um, to kind of downsize there and then downsize to here. And then now this is another downsize. Um, you know, sometimes I talk a good game, but I will admit that it is, um, so I'm telling myself that the house and our lifestyle and our business, just the way we function as a family, the house is almost secondary. I'm telling myself that. <laughs> Do I always believe that? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, you know, I, but we are outside people. We've become even more you know, outside with our animals and just chores and projects. And, um, between that and between our, our business and homeschooling, and it might sound really chaotic, but the way it kind of has worked for us as a family has actually, um, I'll tell this quick, um, give this perspective on it. Um, my daughter, uh, again, she's 14 and this really stopped me in my tracks a little bit with this move. Cause she, she expressed a little bit of concern. Um, you know, she, they, overall they were excited 
we thought it was a good move. But then she said, dad, we've, we've learned the dance here. And I thought, man, she's right. You know, we really have, it has taken us four years to, to some extent. I feel like we've just sort of mastered this play, not mastered it, but you know, we figured it out. We've gotten our routines and, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've made it work. And so it does, I'm like, she's right. You know, we've, we know the dance and I had to kind of turn it around a little bit for myself and for her that, yeah, we've learned the dance, but at least now we're dancers and now we can learn a new dance, you know? Uh, again, that's what I'm telling myself. And I'm thinking, do I really believe that? It sounds really good, Greg. You know, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know if I buy it. Um, anyway, um, but you know, I, I do think that, that we have to kind of push ourselves a little bit, you know, and this whole thing has been about that. Um, like I said, this was already a second downsize and, um, that that's a huge adjustment. And then now we're, we're going down to that again. I think, like I said, I feel like we've gotten, I know I'll speak for us. I'm not going to say everyone, like we've gotten pretty spoiled. Um, and you think about what a home is, um, what it needs to be. And then you just look at our needs and, and what our values are. That's kind of the way I had to approach it. And I'm a classic overthinker. I try to analyze everything. And if I think about things too much, I'll, you know, that doubt creeps in and we all kind of battle that. But, um, you know, I, it's ultimately I had to trust that thinking about it that way. Um, looking at what are our values and what does a home need to be? And, and I realized that this was, um, you know, really, um, right sized. It, it might feel like it's, um, a step back in ways. And, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what this, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, we, we look a lot different than we did our lifestyle uh, four or five years ago. Um, but I wouldn't change it. That's the truth. Uh, I would not trade it back. So, um, are we pushing it too far? I, I don't know, but, but, um, I feel like if I don't overthink it, that I have a piece about it. So that's kind of where yeah, we're I at. I think, it, you know, I, I, the common, common conventional thought on what you should expect from a home like you said we've gotten pretty spoiled and the average joe will probably look at you and think you're crazy for 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 doing what you're doing (laughs) but that's just looking at the house i mean when we talk about the property itself i know you've you've had a lot of limitations as much as you've loved the old place there were certainly limitations to the point you had to get rid of your your beautiful cattle herd so i i wonder kind of going into this i know you are really just you're you're just making that transition, but you've got to have some some vision of what what might change and what you're like where you might be able to go with things like cattle, sheep, 
pigs? Like, what uh, what do you feel like might be some of the directions you'll go in, or what are some opportunities that maybe you didn't have on the old place? Yeah, no, you you're right. I think that this current old place, um, it, you know, because we're we're still here, and so I'm just looking out the window now, thinking about the last four years, and I mean two it's been a great place for us to kind of dip our toe in. Um, but then I also realized that with what we're wanting to do with our goals, and of course we didn't know four years ago, we, we thought this might be something we want to do. And, and it, I, I see now, like if we, where we are, it's, it's hedging a little bit, you know? Um, and so we kind of had to decide if we were, you know, are, are we in this thing or are we not? And, uh, so yeah, definitely access is an issue, uh, with the old place just with, um, like I said, just being mostly wooded, uh, worked great for the hogs. Um, and it really offered other things as well. But, um, with the new place it being a lot more pasture available, I'm really hoping that we can, uh, grow our sheep flock. Uh, we kind of, you know, I shared this last time that we jumped into a lot of different things and for better or worse, that's the, you know, we kind of took this shotgun approach and we learned a lot that way. But then I think we ended up, it came back to bite us in certain ways. And I think we, you realize how quickly that sheep can eat down an acre or two, (laughs) a pasture, you know, even a small flock and you, you always need more than you think. Um, especially with the drought that we've had the last couple of years has been pretty, pretty challenging. Um, so that will, I hope allow us to get into a a larger flock of sheep, uh, maybe start having our own lamb. We've really been limited Uh, for the most part. The sheep have been a four H project for the kids. They, uh, show the, the lambs and, um, or kind of our pasture management, but just on a micro micro scale. Um, uh, but we were able to harvest a lamb just this past year. Um, and really enjoyed that. And so, uh, hoping to get more into that, maybe that can be a source of, of food for our family and others. Um, and then maybe, maybe do kind of like a, a flirt approach where you have, you know, we, we can start with maybe a couple steer, um, maybe get back into having our, uh, small herd of cattle. Um, it's, a uh, like I said, pretty wide open space. It's definitely had some overgrazing going on. They've, they ran cattle. And so I think some healing hands and hooves as a, a friend puts it, will do this property a lot of good, um, to, to let it regenerate. Um, so it's, it's definitely not, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a, I won't call it a fixer upper, but a a bit of a fixer upper in terms of just the, um, the land itself, uh, the house. But anyway, that's kind of, I really think that we'll probably do a lot of the same things, just maybe a little bit more of it. Um, and it will just give us that flexibility. Um, the other thing is like we have 
I think this is new actually since the last time we talked. We have a livestock guardian dog. Uh, she's a, a Pyrenees Anatolian mix, and she's just fantastic. Uh, we ended up adding a from a friend's litter. We added a um, a male, and so they become a breeding pair. We're actually a couple weeks away from our first litter of puppies, so that'll be fun. Um, but I, you know, I look at our context now in the old place. And I think, you know, there's two great dogs and I really, they're not working the way they need to work. They don't have the space that they, they need to have and fencing is a challenge and all of that. So I, I'm so excited, uh, for, for that to, to maybe I'm just trying to justify these two, two dogs that we have, but, but I, I'm excited for them to be able to kind of patrol that property and really do the job, uh, that I know they can do because they've really just kind of guarded the sheep, but they're amazing. They've even our, our Cornish cross, we have this crazy, uh, flock of, uh, or our, our batch of broilers that have just been almost free range. They've gotten out of our fencing. They're everywhere, but they've been in with the dogs practically crawling on the dogs and they're just, they're just fantastic. So I'm really excited about them being able to kind of do more, if you will, uh, patrol and, and protect the whole, um, the whole farm. But, you know, with that comes new challenges, uh, unknown predator pressures and, and all of that, but the infrastructure, there's still, there's fencing there. Um, so there's already some stuff in place that will really help us kind of get back into that hopefully relatively quick maybe this next spring nice yeah those are those sound like great dogs we we had a anatolian shepherd great pyrenees mix show up here and he's been hanging out with us for the last six seven <laughs> eight months and uh we love him but our property is small you know we've got just under five acres and we're surrounded by probably a hundred acres or more of pasture, and he has a hard time understanding that uh, you know private property <laughs> uh, rights and things like that. Yeah. So we're still it's a work in progress at keeping him, keeping yeah. him in, and 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 but he's great. I mean, he'll he'll lay down during the heat. You know, it was really hot here in uh, August, or September, whenever it was just brutally hot for a week or two. He found a spot under one of our garden sheds and he dug into the ground and one day we looked and there was like three corners cross laying with them underneath the shed and they're all just cooling off together isn't that it's funny it's it's you great know, just they're they're such good dogs but they do have a tendency like they want to yeah. explore and uh so um the the anatolian in there is supposed to be kind of help with that i guess pyrenees are you know just pure pyrenees really are known to wander but I, our male, especially, I have a feeling we're going to have a little trouble with him respecting the boundaries and, you know, the dog, you think about fencing for all the, the livestock, but I think the truth is the dogs are probably the hardest animal to kind of keep yep. contained. So, um, that'll be, I, I'm sure we'll have some, some pain points on the new place too. And, and, I have to keep reminding myself that really we're probably trading one set of problems for a new oh, set yeah. of problems. You know, that's Absolutely. just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're you're trading, but hopefully it's a good trade. Um, I'm definitely definitely looking forward to to having you back down the road and just kind of hearing 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 how it's going. I need to get out there. I, I unfortunately probably won't make it before you guys are off the old place, but um, I still need to get out and see you guys and maybe uh. Maybe sometime this fall we'll try to make it out. 
But um, that'd be great. You're welcome anytime. Thank you, sir. Um, so Shepherd's Crook Coffee is uh, a big part of what's keeping you and your family uh, fed and capable of making such a great move. And and it's uh, it's it's a real success story. And you talked quite a bit about kind of the origins of that last time we were we were uh, we were together on the podcast. I wonder if you could kind of just tell a little bit about those who maybe didn't catch the last episode or aren't familiar with what you guys are doing and just kind of kind of share a little bit about your business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, happy to to share that because I, I really I mean, we really just feel like we're stewards of um, what's happening with this, you know, and just hopefully we can be good stewards of it. But, um, you know, that this property, the old place, um, was nowhere, you know, the, the coffee business was nowhere on our radar, um, four years ago and, uh, even three years ago. And so, you know, my wife started off just kind of for us as a hobby roasting on a little stovetop popcorn popper, like a whirly top style, uh, popper. Uh, most people, if they, they get into it, it's either on a cast iron skillet or, uh, like a whirly pop type thing. So, um, no, when, when, um, so our, we both had the corporate background, um, still full time working and, and everything. And, and, uh, kind of made plans for her to quit her job and I ended up getting laid off. Uh, I told you that, that that's the hard thing to, to believe, but it ended up, it was the same day. Um, we really felt like once we kind of got beyond that initial shock that it was something we needed to, to, um, do something with to just try something different. Uh, so we just, um, we started at farmer's markets uh, then we launched the website, I guess that'd be about two years ago, um, to the month, um, that we launched the website and that's gone really well. Now we're actually have had our coffee in all 50 States, which is a new, relatively new thing, um, which is super exciting, um, to the, and just humbling, uh, to think about that. Uh, so mostly website and shipping, um, it's shepherdscriptcoffee.com. And we have flat rate shipping, but, um, so it is, uh, yeah, it's grown. I mean, this has gone from mom and pop in their garage. Uh, that's kind of the joke, you know, mom and pop in our garage doing, uh, coffee and, uh, it's become our full-time family business and the kids are involved and, uh, my daughter loves being creative. And so she's kind of taken some of the content creation and graphics and, you know, I have a little background in that. So uh, Laura does a lot of the posting. And so she's kind of handed some of that off. And, and I mean, the kids are, you know, we hope just continue to be more and more involved. We can hand this off to them and, and they can, you know, be a, a part of that. And, um, I, I just can't even tell you what a blessing it's been. Um, and just the people that we've met and, you know, we, we, um, and I would say that I'd be doing a disservice to say, to, to not explain that just what a spiritual journey this has been for us. And, and really the whole thing, uh, I shared with you last time that this was started or it seemed on the surface is, uh, you know, and it is a very, uh, health, 
uh, and lifestyle and all of that. But seeing now that it was just much deeper than that, um, this, the whole journey and really the, you know, just, uh, has been a big growth thing for us and just, you know, feeling, trying to seek God in, in all that we're doing. So, um, whether it's the homestead, I know it's just coffee, but we hope to bless others with this business. Um, and, uh, to glorify God. And so that, that is kind of in a nutshell. And and now we're moving to a new property. Um, you know, praise the Lord for that, that, that we're able to, we have this opportunity that has worked out. We have a space that will really allow us to, uh, not be so, so pinched because it was getting pretty cozy in mom and pop's garage. (laughs) So, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, we might just be, I don't know, a good problem to have, but we had to figure something out there and it may not be perfect, but, and we might just be kicking the can down the road. Um, but, um, that's kind of where we're at with that. Beautiful. Beautiful. And you guys just do fair trade organic or what, what, what's the deal there? Yep. So we are, we really, um, put a lot, I should say Laura, especially into researching beans, getting high Q score, uh, beans, you know, high altitude, fair trade or direct trade, organic or organic practices. Um, just we put a lot into this, the sourcing. Um, and then from there we use a air roaster that produces a low acidic, uh, coffee. We've had a lot of people, that have come to us and um, have said, you know, I had to kind of stop, I had to stop drinking coffee because it was just, you know, I was having acid issues, stomach issues, or makes me jittery, that kind of a thing. And, but I can drink your coffee. So that, that's been a huge, we love, it just as blesses us to hear, you know, those kind of testimonies and share that. So the, yeah, it's, you know, low acidic, very smooth, even the dark roasts are, are, uh, smooth, no bitterness at all. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, we put a lot into that looking at adding, you know, another roaster so we can, you know, stay up with the, the demand and, and, um, you know, we try to keep the roast as fresh as possible. It's, it's, I would say almost roast to order. Um, it does not sit there, um, you know, on the shelf for any length of time. It just is out the door. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's our approach. And we just, you know, try to do the best job we can, um, with the quality and, and, uh, I've got to give my wife the credit on that. She's the talent. I just support her in any way I can with, you know, um, like I say, she, I just do what she tells me to do. <laughs> You're a smart man, Greg. <laughs> So beautiful. Yep. Well, I will be sure to leave links in the show notes so folks can go over and and check you guys out and hopefully buy a bag and 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 get on board with Shepherd's Crook. And uh well, Greg, I I uh I want to be respectful of your your time. I know that uh well, it's nice to take a break. You probably got plenty to do as as I do this weekend. We're going to go harvest. We're doing one turkey a weekend over four weekends. We did one last weekend. And, oh, nice. And then we've got uh, three more to go and some other odds and ends, getting ready to plant some garlic and, 
and some cabbage for over winter. We got this January King cabbage. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but supposedly it no, supposedly as the name indicates, uh it it's a harvestable in the dead of winter and some, somehow is is really resilient. Wow. So we'll see. We're getting some row cover stuff together as well, but uh so that's kind of what we're doing this weekend, but um yeah. That's awesome. But uh well, good talking with you and I really appreciate you joining me. I'm glad we finally got to do this and we'll have to do it again before too long and get an update on on the new property. I'm really looking forward to hearing more. Yeah, I would love that. I always enjoy talking with you, Jason. All right. Well, there was my conversation with Greg Sweeten. Wonderful to have him back on the show. Great to catch up with him. Hope you enjoyed that. I will leave links in the show notes to uh, their social media and um, pretty much everything they've got available, definitely to Shepherd's Crook Coffee. I highly recommend their coffee and um, would love it if you go over and buy a bag and show them some support. And with that, I'm going to leave it there for this episode. I will be seeing you soon. Got a farm update coming up next week. Lots to talk about. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I look forward to, to seeing you then. And until then, this is Jason signing off reminding you to do something today to improve your tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Plans and Provisions podcast. If you would like to stay up to date with everything happening around the homestead, head on over to the website at plansandprovisions.com.